Welcome to The Beauty of Horror, a podcast dedicated to exploring the unsettling beauty found within our favorite genre. Each episode, I usually sit down with a different guest to discuss a horror film they find particularly beautiful and why. However, with the changing of the seasons comes a shift in our focus. For the next few months, we will be diving into the goop, the gloop, the rancid, and all things gross, while taking an uncomfortably close look at the aesthetics of disgust. I'm your host, Chandler Bullock, and my next guest to lead me on this masochistic journey is a horror screenwriter and contributor to publications including Ghouls Magazine, Rue Morgue, Moving Pictures Film Club, and Horror Obsessive. She is also the author of the book The Scream and Other Dark Stories. Beautiful greetings to Jerry J. Sampson. Hello. Hello. Thanks Thank you so much me for on. coming. Yes, I'm so excited. Super excited to talk to you today. Uh, it's been a long time coming, hasn't it? It has. It has. We've gone through some some adversity, but I think uh, I think it's just made us stronger. <laughs> you know, I think that's going to be kind of thematic for today as well. So I think yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for those listening, we had quite a few uh, technical issues along the way, and we're here now. The machines did not get us. And uh, we're doing it. So really excited to finally sit down and especially with our topic today. But before we jump into that, I do like to begin our discussions with a quote, which I'm just going to say it from philosophy. Let's be honest. That's what I do. And um, listeners, we're kind of staying in the same territory. I'm sorry, but the topic that we've been discussing has just generated the same scholarly work over and over again. And it's because it's that rich. So forgive me for keep going to the same source, but it's just to help you understand the complexities of the concept. So we're going back to the abject, everybody. <laughs> and here is another quote from that same essay from Julia Christopher that I think applies for today. It is as follows. <clears throat> Two seemingly contradictory causes bring about the narcissistic crisis that provides, along with its truth, a view of the abject. Too much strictness on the part of the other, confused with the one and the law. The lapse of the other, which shows through the breakdown of objects of desire. In both instances, the abject appears in order to uphold I, as in myself, within the other. The abject is the violence of mourning for an object that has always already been lost. The abject shatters the wall of repression and its judgments. It takes the ego back to its source on the abominable limits from which, in order to be, the ego has broken away. It assigns it a source in the non-ego, drive and death. Abjection is a resurrection that has gone through death of the ego. It is an alchemy that transforms death drive into a start of life of new significance. We're going to get into this later. Uh, so... We're going places with this episode, but before before we do that, Jerry, uh, let's talk a bit about you and your journey into all of these wonderful things that you do within horror. You do a lot of different uh, things. So what is it that got you started and got you so passionate about this wonderful genre? Yeah, well, you know, this is pretty much my life's work, um, delving into horror and writing horror and watching and reading. Um, and it started, I think, like 
for many of us at a pretty young age, seeing things and reading things I shouldn't have been reading. Um, <laughs> and uh, in addition to that, you know, I I kind of grew up in a family that uh, had a lot of fear. Like I was, I was taught to fear very early and not really anything mm. in particular, just everything in general. Okay. And um, that for me kind of translated into like a fascination into why, you know, why, why should I be so scared if, if I don't know what I'm afraid of? And so then I started kind of seeking out things to be afraid of. And that sort of took its form <laughs> in Stephen King novels uh-huh. when I was in the fourth grade and you know earlier than that it the you know miniseries it um I was uh-huh, kind of yes sat in front of <laughs> by my older sister when she didn't want to babysit me and you know all those things that that sort of spark curiosity um I just sort of gravitated toward the darker the darker side of things and it never really went away um and then just sort of learning who I was and, and my creative path. Uh, I never really strayed from horror. You know, it kind of has always mm-hmm. been my number one. So uh, when I started my screenwriting journey, that was the, the logical genre to, to explore. And then when I started more film analysis and writing about it, uh, I found my kind of family in the ghouls world and meeting other women who were interested in horror and for me in particular more extreme horror uh, which is something I like to focus on and it's just yeah never never gone away I I enjoy looking at all the dark corners and trying to make sense of of all the scary things And so when you look into the dark corners, are you looking into those same corners as you were as a child? Or is it as you get older, you're noticing different patches of darkness, let's say, that you find something scary to be found? Yeah, you know, as you get older and you become more aware of the world around you, um, it makes a little more sense why my mother was so uh, insistent (laughs) on, Mm -hmm. on saying the world is a scary place. But you're also... You're much more aware of of the the complexities, you know. Not not everything is is black and white, and so this is something I really love about the kind of movie that we're talking about today, and uh, is sort of looking at things from a a different point of view, a different perspective. That's not just oh, uh, this person is bad, you know, and because we say this person is bad and they're doing bad things that. Uh, you know, we hate them or I like, I like the complexities of, of villainy and of disgust and why we feel the way we feel. And so like, as I've gotten older and I've just been able to kind of analyze my feelings and be more critical as opposed to just, you know, uh, reacting emotionally, Uh then it's, it's really opened up a whole different kind of world when it comes to horror. And uh, obviously I'm talking yeah, the kinds of horror that really make you think. I also really enjoy just <laughs> crazy, fun, you know, wacky slashers and all that. But I do tend to gravitate toward the dark, bleak films. And, you know, that's something, there's something about French films that just, oh, uh, oh they yeah. really capture, you know, they capture that. And they're not afraid to look um, and examine 
those different sides of people with with kind of like a I don't know a different a different perspective. So yeah, I I think there's a difference between just feeling fear in your body and reacting to it, and then feeling that fear and kind of critically examining it and and saying like, okay, well, why does this thing make me feel scared or disgust uh, in in our case today? <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is linked, just of course. Reacting. You know, yeah, yeah, disgust oh, yeah. and fear. Yes, yes, they are absolutely linked and especially certain um aspects of what's in our film today uh, it's it's been really interesting to you know the body horror type stuff is is always really interesting for me um and the, the things that i can look at and watch not have a problem with and then the things that i'm just like oh <laughs> you know, physical reaction Right. It's just, you know, I, I don't get that from any other genre. Yeah, I, I, I'll laugh if, if comedy is funny. It, it isn't always, but no. uh, really, there's no other genre of film that, that gets me as excited as, as the horror genre. Uh, it's a pretty deep love. Right there with you. Yeah, I feel that it is probably the most emotionally impactful genre there is. I think just because on the very basis of it, fear is an immediate response. So mm. when you feel it, it's not like you can go, hold on, let's calm down. I mean, it takes time sometimes if you're properly mm -hmm. scared. And then if you were, you're already kind of open at that point. If you feel anything else, I think you're going to feel it just as strongly as the initial spike of fear because you've become vulnerable in that state. So you sound, we sound like kindred souls in a little uh, aspect in that we seem to be both kind of like fear junkies or at least emotion junkies when it comes to yeah. our horror experiences. Because I also like to have the ones that make me either sit and contemplate or just not want to turn the light off, basically. Yeah. Those sorts of movies. But so do you think that it's because perhaps you were into Stephen King at such an early age? Because I was as well. And I will say, like, King is such a great gateway for more contemplative, introspective types of stories, especially if you read his stories as opposed mm -hmm. to just watching the films. And I'm curious if you like what you feel his work has contributed to your tastes in horror. Yeah, well, I think it, I think he had a huge, huge impact um, because I also read Dean Koontz when I was when I was that age, and it didn't oh, really. Nice didn't really leave the same impression and that was more uh just sort of like graphic um you know this this is an image that you get in your head and it it makes you it makes you shudder and Stephen King is dread and that is the big uh -huh. the big pull for me and it always was and I always sat there I mean I would read like way into the night you know with a flashlight under the covers and there was something about even when I didn't understand the themes necessarily that that he was kind of digging into in the different stories, there was always that sense of just foreboding and dread and, you know, that he really was able to capture in his in so many of his stories. And that was something that was different for me. I mean, that feeling was you know, it wasn't just the jump scare. It was that whole extended period of time before, you know, while you're walking from your room to the kitchen to get a glass of water in the dark. And you're pretty sure that around every corner, something is going to 
just grab you and it doesn't but you're certain it's going to and that was the feeling that Stephen King really um you know pushed through his words and even when I was that young I remember it you know reading these things and imagining being in the in the position especially when I got around to reading it because that was you know that was such a impactful movie when I was super young but then when I read it and you connect with these characters and then you realize that these characters that were my age pretty much were Uh feeling all these things that I've felt before and um it wasn't until I had the word for it you know which is dread and that that I could connect to the feeling you know I didn't have that early on but now that I can look back at it that was that was it that was everything and it is it's a really invigorating feeling too um i mean (laughs) if nothing ever actually jumps out at you to let you release that that tension it's uh, terrible (laughs) it's just terrible and you go to sleep and you have nightmares and then you wake up and you want to do it all over again i don't know why i think it's a certain (laughs) thing in us as horror fans i think Uh that's the certain thing because there's a lot of people that will read these books or watch these movies get scared and then they're like well i'm not i'm not doing that again (laughs) and then you know the rest of us those of us who have kind of just like glommed on to the genre we're the ones that (laughs) yeah the the masochists that want to keep feeling those feelings and having those dreams being afraid we're like where's the next the one i need to have yeah, the next exactly one. <laughs> exactly and then you know it gets harder and harder to find but i can always go back to stephen king and and feel you know remember like remember those feelings and and uh yeah as as jaded as i am now <laughs> from having watched so many and read so right. many horror uh pieces i i can still i can still get those feelings from certain certain things that's wonderful you're right it is really hard to hold on to if you get into a more professional mindset analytical mindset for these things and uh i mean hell uh i think the only reason that this podcast is doing so well is because i'm just sitting with other people now at a distance of course but we're essentially just telling each other that we're going to make a deal to sit back feel the movie for a bit don't necessarily analyze every little detail but you can't turn it off we're doing it the whole time anyway but mm-hmm. because you're not doing it with that purpose in mind suddenly you're just like oh these things really hit you and <laughs> yeah. uh it's, it's a nice feeling right it is yeah it's a nice it's a nice icky feeling uh that nice i would icky trade. feeling <laughs> i like that. and it is like it that. is nice yeah it is nice to not you know i mean i you'll take notes and um for for talking about it later but it is nice to just sort of sit back and and think about and really feel you mm-hmm. know the uh what you're getting from the film uh instead of and it is hard and I, also because i write horror and i write you know screenplays and i focus on that i mean i focus on a lot of psychological horror uh, in my work but you really do get into this mode of like kind of trying to break everything down and be like, oh, what works and what doesn't work? And, oh, how can I apply this to my work? And <laughs> and exactly. so it's, yeah. it becomes harder to become just like a, a watcher as opposed yeah. to, 
you know, picking it apart. And so I do, I do appreciate being able to, or being forced to just kind of slow down. <laughs> being forced to do it. Yeah. Just yes. sit down and enjoy a movie. Damn it. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, it, I'm right there with you though. It's really, really hard to, so me at the moment sitting in my mom's house, you know, a couple thousand miles from my house in Amsterdam, I, I do get a lot more free time in the small town than I do in a city like Amsterdam. So uh, it's been weird how I've just kind of booted up Shutter and just have movies playing in the background again. And sometimes I'll be like, I'm going to watch this. I'm like, since when do I just watch a movie? I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and I had to kind of teach myself how to do it. It's such a weird feeling. So the opportunity to get it sometimes is both daunting and relaxing at the same time. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I do want to talk about your writing, though. I, I want to uh, ask, so as a screenwriter, you'd mentioned in your kind of timeline, if you will, it came up first that you got into screenwriting and then you started studying analysis. So I'm very curious, when did you decide I want to write scripts for horror films and like what, what kind of motivated that? Like, kind of walk us through it just a little bit, if you wish. Yeah, of course. Um, well, so when I was 18, I was writing scripts. I mean, when I was in high school, I was going to the grew up in Southern Oregon and I was going to the community college um, and taking classes, screenwriting classes. And there was a really great teacher and I was just, I was more plays, but um, I also read scripts when I was a kid. So I had, okay. I would, I would find books um, at the library or you know, very, very rare because it's not as popular as it is now as far as like printing out screenplays, but I was always reading screenplays when I could and um, so I learned just basic formatting. And then when I was 18, I took a, a road trip uh, by myself and I took my typewriter and I took my my little 18 year old cigarettes. <laughs> I was pretty sure I was I was Jack Kerouac or Hunter S. Thompson. Uh, and I went on the road and I was going to write my first screenplay on my typewriter. And, um, you know, once you get formatting down and. You, you don't really, you're that young. You don't think about the actual industry or what you can and can't actually mm -hmm. do. You've got a lot of freedom. Um, and on that trip, I checked into a, a motel in Santa Cruz. And it was this awful, seedy, disgusting motel. And that was where I was going to, um, you know, write out my pages. And I mean, I did end up writing this script about a, a girl that goes on a road trip and picks up a hitchhiker and finds love or maybe not, uh, is <laughs> awful. But that, that motel, um, I had a really pretty terrifying experience in where I heard, um, these voices through the wall and it was, it was very violent and, um, I was there by myself. So, you know, it was the middle of the night and everything was very heightened my senses were very heightened and I was right. hearing all these horrible things and I tried to get help from the manager and the manager's like, mind your own business. And, um, but he, he eventually went over to the, the room on the other side of the wall and I could hear them cause the walls are paper thin and the manager talked to the man that was there and he was there with his, uh, I, I don't know, a woman and a kid. And it was just a lot of yelling and screaming. And then when the manager was done talking to them. I heard the man through the wall say, uh, whoever's, you know, out there not minding their business, I'm going to, I'm going to kill him. And I, and I remember like the feeling in my body of just absolute, <laughs> uh, you know, paralyzing terror. 
Mm. And uh, it was just an awful night, you know, didn't sleep at all. But uh, (laughs) what I got from that uh, was the basically like the seed of the idea for my first like really, uh, you know, first script that I was really passionate about. Mm -hmm. And and I thought I started thinking beyond just, you know, and I, I didn't do anything with that idea for 10 years. Like I wow. got done with that road trip. I never forgot that night. And it was almost just like this little seed was planted and I just sat on it and sat on it. But then the second I sat down and decided um, to start screenwriting again, that was the idea that came up and those were the feelings that came up. And um, I'm happy to say that script is, is on its way. It's, Got a wonderful director attached, and we're working on getting it. Wow! Getting Very it nice. produced and everything. Uh, finally, it's been a but that's you know a big passion project. But the screenwriting part of me and the horror part of me, those two things are very, very connected. There was really never any other genre I could have written in. But once I started writing scripts, um, it's a very isolating thing. You know, writing is a very you're pretty much. Yeah. by yourself in your world and I knew I needed to start kind of branching out and meeting other filmmakers and and that's kind of where you know I started transitioning not away from screenwriting obviously that's my first and foremost but transitioning into the the more analytical and writing and okay. uh, I don't like to say, I don't like to say criticism uh, because I don't really criticize. I just sort of examine um, right horror and and I started sort of thinking, okay, well, what is my thing? Like, what is? And that's how I started writing about extreme horror. And those two things, you know, that's that screenwriting part of me that was sort of born in that motel. Um, thinking about like the worst possible situations that I can put my characters through. Um, (laughs) It it pretty much melded perfectly together with writing about, you know, work that's already been created. And, and then I was able to link up with uh, Zoe and the other ladies at Ghoul's magazine who share a lot of my passions uh, for yes, really messed up, <laughs> messed up movies, <laughs> <laughs> and I find that writing, you know, I'll I, I review films and and everything, and that's a lot of fun because that's a great way to meet really creative and wonderful filmmakers, which I have. But I find that um, writing about extreme horror and the kind of darker arts of the genre is is the most fascinating, you know, because it really a lot of those movies really do take me back to that feeling of being by myself in that motel room and mm. um, you know, I don't I don't know what's on the other side of the wall, but I know that it's uh pretty fucking awful. <laughs> I don't know if I can swear. <laughs> but can totally uh, pretty swear, awful. Okay, great. Um uh <laughs> And so, you know, like those, those two things, that's, that's kind of my, while I, while I will always, um, you know, like be writing scripts and, and working on getting those made and finding my community there, um, writing and talking about horror films, it's, it's a, it's pretty equal passion because I, I really respect filmmakers and I really respect the visions that are you know, put out there. I, 
I just think that it's always a feat to get anything made. And um, I think it's a feat to really disturb because I, I, it's, it's hard to disturb me. So, <laughs> Hence the extreme horror. That makes a lot of sense. Exa- now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> which I do classify um, the, our film today. I do. I put that into that that category. I would there's as lots well. of different. Yeah. 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 There's lots of different areas of the of the genre, but the the subgenre. But I definitely right. think it hits there, and you know that's part of that feeling of. Ugh. <laughs> you know that feeling of disgust <laughs> and that ugh, skin crawling feeling. Exactly. Uh, it's like so, I'm always just chasing it. <laughs> and it sounds like you're you're generating it just as much as you're chasing it down yourself, which is kind of what you have to do if you really are searching for something and you can't find it, right? You kind of have to sometimes take that bull by the horns and be like, well, who better than me? I'm the person who is, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, having a deficit, so I might as well be the one to pave the way now. And Very in that, true. Um, Although... Yeah. I have to say, I don't really, I don't, I've never written like extreme horror, which really? is really so interesting. Really, so Motel I mean, written, would not fall under that? No, no, it is, it's, it's, I classify Motel as a psychological thriller almost. Um, oh, okay. But it's very bleak, very dark. So, I mean, all my stuff, all my work is very dark um, and it deals a lot with kind of generational trauma and that, and that sort mm. of the shadow that follows family yep. members. Um, but I've never, I've never actually written extreme horror. I don't, it's, it's, it's really funny because as much as I love to watch it and talk about it, um, yeah, I don't really get too. That too is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Although you did say early on that dread, that was the yes. kind of kicker for you and the thing that you seem to be seeking out. So perhaps dread is what's kind of in your heart and soul and what you're sharing with the world. And the extreme horror is the entertaining stuff that makes you really get down deep and helps you create the subtlety to get into yeah. the, the darkness of the dread. Um, one thing I want to bring up, because you didn't bring it up yourself, but uh, I see on you know your accolades and stuff that your script made it to the semifinals of Women in Horror Festival in 2020. Congratulations on that. Um, oh, yeah, was, thank you. How was that getting, you know, a certificate and making it that far in a competition? Oh, it's I mean, it's great. You know, um, you know, I don't enter like screenwriting competitions, um, mainly because it's all very subjective. And typically it is. Uh, my my scripts, you they, they're definitely like they test your kind of metal, I think, sometimes. And right. Like I said, they're very dark. And so sometimes. But I do love uh, entering into film festivals because uh-huh. if I get in, I go and I meet people. And, um, yeah, the, you know, the women in Horror Festival, the Renegade this year, I had a script go through and Film Quest, like all these amazing film festivals uh, that one of these days I'll have, you know, my own uh, short film because I'm getting ready to shoot uh, my first, going to direct my first short film this summer. I look forward to having something that people can see. But in the meantime, you know, I I just go as a screenwriter that has, I have my scripts and I, I talk to filmmakers and I make a lot of really great connections there. And there's really nothing like, um, being in a big room with a bunch of horror lovers and talking shop. 
<laughs> you know? Talking shop, yes. <laughs> yeah, writers don't. I, I don't know a lot of writers that love to talk about themselves, but uh, <laughs> like I do, you know, when you get writers together, it becomes a little easier. And when you get writers and filmmakers right. together, something comes out of it that's just, you know, like a now we want to work together and it's a collaborative mm-hmm. feeling and I love it. Absolutely you're filling up the, the void that the other person might have because if you're like, hey, I've never even thought of how to use a camera, but a director's like, I can generate the language of cinema, but you know, I have too many ideas or not enough ideas and you seem to be really structured. Oh yeah, I love seeing that magic of writers and <laughs> filmmakers and other people just kind of going like, are we a company now? <laughs> just yeah. being at a festival, you know? <laughs> it's yeah, so it's a really great, it's a really great feeling. I, um, I read, I just recently, I've been collaborating with a, a filmmaker and a producer that I met at the Film Quest Festival, and we just got done writing a feature script, and we're going to, yep, I have our, my filmmaker, um, director, he's going to direct it, and my friend's going to produce it, and we're just like raring and ready to go, and that all came out of, you know, a brief meeting at a festival. Hell and yeah. And you know, of course, the like wonderful social media that keeps us all together. <laughs> I mean, you know, you love it and you hate it, but it definitely right. it has introduced me to a lot of really great people. And, um, you know, I love my friends on on the socials because that's where well, that's where we all are right now during COVID and where we have been. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We're all kind of just bound to each other in spirit, basically. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, but it has been nice. I mean, I've not really stepped foot into a festival for a few years now. And being based in Amsterdam, it's not as if I ever would have met any of y'all for mm-hmm. a long time. And social media has been a wonderful tool for me to make that network. So anybody who's listening, he's like, but how do you get in those conversations? Talk. That's just it. talk to talk. people. Be friendly. They're just as scared of you as you are of them. Don't worry about it. Um <laughs> Who cares if they've made the movie and it's gotten funded and you've seen it? They're all kind of like, you've watched my movie and they, they want to talk. Oh you know? They're God. happy to that talk to you. That is so true. <laughs> That's so true. And you know what's so funny? Like, I love uh, independent horror. That's like my, that's how I write and it's it's what I watch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, it's, my husband has said as I'm waxing on about, you know, the, the amazing director that I've just been talking to he's like you know most people wouldn't even know who that is and you're and i'm sitting here like oh i love this person's work so much and i think that Mm -hmm. that is i mean i love that you know that there if you see somebody online that you love their work just yeah don't ask them for stuff just be like i love your work and you mean a lot to me and that'll probably make their day oh it will unless they're not a nice person and then i'm sorry (laughs) oh yeah and then sorry not my fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You tried. <laughs> yeah, you tried. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of oh, awkward cool. social skills, um, I think that's a, uh, a fun segue into our film today. And so we're definitely going to be talking about an individual who has some is quite inept in being social around others. Uh, probably the type of person that people fear a filmmaker is going to be when they approach them. Um <laughs> So please tell us, Jerry, what film will we be discussing today? Today we are discussing Julia Ducourneau's Titan, uh, a Ooh. wonderful, uh, sweet film filled with uh, heartwarming moments. 
and <laughs> deep emotional connections. <laughs> I'm sorry. That doesn't sound like any review I have ever heard of this movie, but I do agree, but it is a funny, I appreciate that you came out the gate swinging with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is a very sweet film. It is. It is, which I mean, you know, um, our our sub our topic is is discussed. Our feelings are discussed, and you know, we'll discuss kind of. I mean, I have more than enough examples that I can give from this film uh, that really brought that feeling up in me. But I, on on the whole, there is a lot of real deep emotional um, story work here. Uh, you just have to find it and you just have to be open to it. <laughs> and if you're not open to it, we'll do that for you. Just stick with we'll us. You'll be fine. So for those who have not seen it, as, as you're, if you're a regular listener, you know how this works. I'm going to read out what IMDb says the movie is about. And oh boy, I love that people are so confused about Ducarno's work that we get these ridiculous IMDb synopses where they kind of give like a definition of the French word. So you're just like, yeah, I guess I understand what this means. Um, and also I had like Thanatomorphose last uh, episode, and that one had to give a definition of what that word was too. Mm-hmm. Um, in a synopsis, that's what I find hilarious. But okay, <clears throat> so here's what IMDb says. Following a series of unexplained crimes, a father is reunited with the son who has been missing for 10 years. Titan, a metal highly resistant to heat and corrosion with high tensile strength alloys. That is most random <laughs> little, like, dictionary definition that they just slapped onto this. Um, what are your thoughts of the synopsis? I mean, uh, it tells one part of the story. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, like, this is this film, Titan, is really two stories. It is. And this synopsis, for some reason, uh, absolutely ignores one. And really just simplifies the other, which I understand how hard it is to write a log line. So uh, <laughs> if I if I was pitched this in a room, I would be like, all right, well, that sounds like an interesting drama, I guess. Um, and then I would be shocked to watch the film. And as far as the example, <laughs> the definition given, uh, yes, there is metal involved in some parts mm-hmm. of the story. <laughs> Yes. I that's that's very simple, very simple um, synopsis. But they did what they could, I think. I suppose. So, okay, <laughs> before I get into what I want to say right now, um, again, fair warning to everybody who's listening: we will be discussing spoilers because you can't really analyze a film without getting into the, you know, the meat and potatoes of it, basically. Um, and so, be warned. This is a movie that you should experience, like all these movies, of course, but I've noticed, especially with the ones with Disgust, Disgust is such a visceral experience that it can be ruined by you knowing it's coming. So just watch it and come back, because I know you're going to have feelings. (laughs) So then you can join us for the conversation, because I really feel it's very important that you don't have our feelings going into this film. That having been said, immediately what strikes me about the synopsis is they've made the father the protagonist, and it's his story when it's all about Alexia. 
What? Well, surprise, surprise. <laughs> what a surprise. Let's market the man's part of the story. That blew my mind. Oh, man. You know, if that's funny. I totally just, I, I think that's just a norm, you know? Uh, it is. <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't mention, they don't mention Alexia at all. Uh, no. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, you know, Titan is the story of a woman named Alexia <laughs> who is uh, sexually aroused by cars. I, not even cars, really, like a car. A car. A yeah, car, she has like a beautiful a, car. An emotional re- re- like connection to that car. I think. Yeah, she has a real emotional connection after a car crash as a child and. And that's the first part of the movie. And then there's a second part of the movie that does involve uh, a father reconnecting with what he believes to be his lost son. But it is a, mm-hmm. a very simple, simple would not be the word to describe this movie. And, no. uh, you know, I've thought about how to go about discussing it because because it is so specifically like two separate. Two separate pieces of a puzzle Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when I was thinking in the terms of disgust, um, both, both different pieces of the puzzle have different, um, different types of subject matter that really elicits that, that feeling because, you know, you've got some body horror, you've got some pregnancy horror, uh, which for me personally, um, is a big one. <laughs> And that's I'm happy we're going to talk about that. Of, yes, yeah, and uh, that's that's really why I was drawn to this this film for discussing that that particular emotion. Oh, great! I haven't done so yet, and it's it's kind of as you could imagine for me, it's a little bit of uncharted territory. Uh, but also for like my partner, for instance, she is not really all that jazzed about the idea of going through the biological process of forming a child. Um, mm-hmm. She's not against rearing a child. She just kind of has no drive to, you know, participate physically. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so for her, it is kind of like a body horror thing. And for her, she was telling me like, Oh, she said that uh, just thinking about it when I was on the phone with her today, she's like, I'm telling you, I'm pacing up and down the hallway thinking about the car baby. And I just don't like it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That, uh, well, uh, your partner and I share very similar um, feelings about <laughs> the matter. Uh, I, too, am, uh, my husband and I, we've chosen not to have children. And um, a big part of it is that uh, that carrying a, a baby. It mm. is pretty it's pretty terrifying and it is a very like viscerally, I mean, love to all the, the mothers who, who want, you know, to do that. But for me, I have like a fear of spores and parasites Uh. and that's like, it's like a little parasite that you're growing inside (laughs) of you that, that sucks off your, out of your life force. And then, you know, it's just, a pregnancy Sorry, horror is definitely. Again, <laughs> <laughs> no offense to all the babies out there, but they are. Uh, and are. there is something so um, like you, there is such a huge lack of control, and you really right. see it in in Titan. Like 
she, Alexia, from the beginning. So I guess, you know, we should say that Alexia definitely has sex with a car. Hmm. That's a good place to start. We did mention the car baby. <laughs> That's but yes, a good place uh, to start. Again, if you're like listening and you didn't watch it, I'm sorry. This is the stuff. This is why you're going to be real confused now. But yes, yeah, she she definitely has really rough, passionate sex mm-hmm. with a mm-hmm. car. <laughs> with a car. And her interaction with this car, I mean, it's a very stylish film. It's The mm-hmm. opening scene has, um, you know, a little bit of backstory. Um, Alexia and her father who she's always had a a very difficult relationship with her father and and that's a pretty important thing that we see early on but then we come back pretty quickly to her as an adult and she's a beautiful just a gorgeous woman but rough you know you can tell that she's rough and really the only time that she opens up is with this car and we meet her at um at this car show and she does a very beautiful dance um, on this car, and I wish I knew the kind of car it was. I'm not a, I'm not a car person, but it is. It's a. <laughs> I'll look that up. Um, muscle car. <laughs> I should have looked. Oh, it. like you mean a that, muscle it, car? It's a sports car, muscle car. If you okay, I thought you meant the the model, but yeah. Um, oh no, you, you can mean, redo that if you want to, but we'll, we'll keep it if you also want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's. <laughs> fine it's hey i don't know everything about cars um (laughs) but i in my opinion our first real kind of uh disgusting moment is a body horror moment and it goes back julia de is very interested in like the female body and how it can be perceived as kind of horrific and and Mm -hmm. You know, there's a scene in the shower with a nipple ring and hair getting stuck. And just it's I don't know about you. I don't know about you, Awkward. but that was my first like uh, oh, somebody's <laughs> hair on my body. Uh. Yes. Yes. Pulling and, you know, uh, pain and kind of that mixed with something that's beautiful. And, you know, like the body, the female body is very beautiful. And then you have this kind of mixture of that with this ow pain and that for me right off the bat it's just a little bit of a clench and a grimace <laughs> and then she just you know the movie just kind of busts straight ahead it does <laughs> it really does you know oddly enough this is not a movie that really disgusted me a whole bunch but i noticed something so have you seen raw as well Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I figured you would have, but just just to be sure. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You, you can't assume. <laughs> but um, so I had the pleasure of just a couple episodes before this seeing Raw with Kat Benstead. And that was so cool to, in a short period of time, see Raw and then Teton. Mm-hmm. And uh, neither of them really... They, there are moments in Raw when they're like biting each other and stuff that I could just imagine the pain of it. But for the most part, I guess it's her very clinical approach to the human body, almost mm. kind of a Cronenbergian approach to it, that I guess I I just go with that flow pretty easily. Mm-hmm. I accept it. It's the body doing things. Of course, there are moments where eventually I'm like, oh, that's got to hurt. <laughs> but there, 
Or maybe it's the fact that I watched Thanatomorphose before watching this one that I was just like, <laughs> I'm made of different stuff now. This movie's fine. I don't, <laughs> you know. Yes, uh, that movie is. That's a different beast. It is a different beast. But I will say for me, the disgust lied a lot in the social, which I love that she puts into her film so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can also never relate to what it's like to have, you know, the, the uterus horror, if you will, mm-hmm. of it all. I can just sympathize, I suppose. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, cause like you were saying, like, you know, she's using the beauty of the feminine body, but then at the same time, filming it in a very, they're just there kind of way. Mm-hmm. Nudity in these films is hardly ever sexual with Dick or no, mm-hmm. even if it has sex involved. And I found that fascinating with this film. In fact, the sexiest scene is her with the car. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a common thing in French horror. And one of my favorite subgenres is like the new French extremity, which is early 2000s. But um, in general, the French, like French filmmakers, it's a different it's a completely different culture and uh-huh. obviously not everyone listening is is american but in america we are absolutely terrified of sexuality and uh-huh. we uh look only to objectify the female body and it's a different feeling you're absolutely right when it comes to i mean i i absolutely agree i should say when it comes to the social aspects being the more um kind of difficult to swallow and it's always been like that and that is something that i always like to bring up when it comes to french extremity is Mm -hmm. that oftentimes it's the theme that that disgusts the most and then you really have to look at why it's disgusting you know and and a lot of the discomfort comes from the the themes so a lot of the earlier parts of this film are pretty straightforward. I mean, you know, there is, there's some body horror and, and some violence, but it really isn't until the, the relationship between Vincent and Adrian a little later that you really start to think, okay, well, this is, this is so uncomfortable. Now I'm feeling those, those really deep, Feelings, And then that Mm -hmm. combined with the body horror element for me personally really hits home. But that's what I love about, you know, it's this, it's the disgust in, in the unknown. So we don't know why Mm. her body is functioning Mm -hmm. in this way. It's very, it's not explained. And then it's also, she doesn't know either, but she also doesn't (laughs) really question it. You know, Uh, she does. It's not like she stops and goes to a, a doctor and said i mean she again she has a a father who is is a doctor but she doesn't really open up to him but she it's it's kind of like she just hits the ground running she has this interaction with this car things start happening to her body and then it's it's more like a survival as as she's transforming and i think that's really interesting you know, because she does break a lot of social social taboos as oh, a person, yes. as a murderer. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yes, it's a few social taboos um, broken. <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty big, pretty big one. But I don't even think that, you know, that's uh, Julia Ducarnot. It's like that's a an afterthought for her. You know, that's not what 
the movie is about. That's just something that she does. And, Uh um, and I think a lot, I I read an interview that, that, uh, Ducourneau said when asked about, you know, the character of Alexia and if she was worried about writing a character that was as kind of despicable as Alexia and Adrian. And she referenced Henry portrait of a serial killer as an example of how a person, typically a man, can write a male character as this awful uh, person, but also elicit some empathy from its view from their viewers. But that when a a, a female character is is that kind of you know, villainous or confusing or unlikable, you know, it's always the question of well. Aren't you worried about how people are going to think about you since you've written this character? And it's just an interesting juxtaposition of, you know, I I think women can be just as awful. uh, Oh, oh, I've had my fair (laughs) share of interactions. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's a myth that, that women can't be just as and I mean, just as so not even to say like when we say just as rude or just as mean, sometimes mm-hmm. obviously you're going to think, yeah, but in a way that a woman can, or yeah, in the way a man can or, or whatever. Yeah. But I mean like, no, exactly the same. It's just yeah. who's doing it is the difference. Yeah. Yeah. And you really see that in, in, in Alexia. Uh, but then you also follow her into her transition into Adrian, who is the aforementioned son <laughs> in the synopsis that a father has been reunited with. Um, and you see a whole different aspect to her. And it's just like a really interesting way to capture the kind of duality of, of a person. Cause we all have a little bit of everything inside of us, even if it doesn't go as far as murder. <laughs> uh, but, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. But we, you know, when she becomes Adrian, she becomes more, a little more sensitive and a little more open than she is as Alexia. And it's, it's just an interesting kind of transition into that latter part of the movie that goes hand in hand with her really disgusting, um, body changes and, <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, the oil. and Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that. The yeah. Oil, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And there's one word you use there that I find key in all of this and that's transition. The trans allegory in this is one of the most beautiful ones I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It so for for me, and I, I'm pretty open about this myself. Um, I have troubles with my own kind of gender identity just because I I was definitely raised as as a boy, as a man, but raised in an environment that was very effeminate and and feminine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that has anything to do with anything, but I definitely have moments where if I'm addressed as a man, I just feel this kind of it's wrong or see myself and it's wrong. So I I personally identify as gender fluid and I don't, it's a new thing for me. It's a hard thing to explore sometimes. And this movie, I was just kind of blown away with how beautifully and deathly Ducourneau has shown a character who seems like when she, when Alexia takes over the role of uh, Adrian and starts to accept Adrian as somebody that she could be, she is him. And then later, the more Adrian and Alexia kind of 
become the one person who may not need a name, but in, like in this identity sense, I love how the two personalities that they say they, I suppose in this case, have kind of developed with this relationship with Vincent and their 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 past with their own father and stuff. They kind of coalesce. So the more comfortable mm-hmm. Alexia becomes, the more you see Alexia in Adrian. So the dancing, mm-hmm. all these little traits. And it was just so liberating for me to see that too, because it was really a, a nice film about expressing yourself and being yourself, but having to also trust others in order to be able to do that, to find who you feel that you are. And it kind of felt like a lot of what Alexia, what, at least what was eating at Alexia, was calmed a bit when she got to be Adrian for a time. Mm-hmm. Because it's like she was getting out these sorts of uh, expressions that needed to be accepted. It was really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I I agree completely. And it's really impactful to see what... Uh, you know, Vincent's role in it as somebody who just accepts Adrian wholly. And even though they have these moments of reckoning um, where Vincent knows that Alexia isn't the Adrian that he believes they are, Mm -hmm. uh, he still accepts, you know, wholly this person as somebody that he loves. And mm-hmm. I think that is the thing that was missing for Alexia her whole life. I mean, you, you really see a lot of the strain. When Alexia is Alexia, she's just tight and strained. Oh, so yeah. yeah, so tense. And it's, it is so interesting, the, the, the really almost thrown away subplot of Alexia being a murderer. Because when she is Alexia she is completely guarded at all times and it she's just coiled she's uh, uh, and i know i know a lot of women that are that are like that a lot of women that are just coiled protectively around themselves mm-hmm. and tight and tense and because this is a it's a very uh difficult <laughs> world that we live in for everyone um and you know we all have our certain just things that we have to sort of, we we feel like we need to protect ourselves against. And I just, I know that that's a a very common thing. And then when she becomes Adrian, you just see her uncoiling. And, you know, like you say, it's like she finds herself in him and they become one. And that combined with Vincent's just pain. I mean, it's almost like Vincent's pain is a part of what, helps Adrian Alexia become hmm. <laughs> you know who they are and it's a real it's a very it is a love story i mean yes yeah. just not romantic. as deep it's not no not romantic no but um you know as deep and that's another one of these themes because when you look at it there are a lot of moments in the film where you really get a vibe that something is going to go into the the kind of inappropriate or push a boundary. It's it's it feels very boundary pushing the relationship between mm-hmm. between Vincent and Adrian and but then when you kind of step back, I think a lot of the feelings that I got personally from it is looking at the film from a an American 
view. You know, we really just don't have a lot. We don't give a lot of space for men to be intimate with each other and in a, in a platonic way. And we don't give a lot of space for, yeah, you know, for women to be angry and, um, you know, lash out. And so all these things, uh, Ducourneau is kind of exploring through this body horror film that basically, like, if you just look at it from the outside, it's, it's, it's very simple, but the more you really kind of dig into it, it really opens up a lot of areas of, of, I don't know, society and and life that it it just becomes very sweet. And, (laughs) and so that, you know, for me, a part of that is, is the, what I, what I kind of struggle with because I do get so, so much just kind of ugh, disgust from from the body horror and the strange pregnancy. But then I see the relationship between Vince and Adrian and I'm like, oh, that's, that's so nice. <laughs> so it's just a lot of clashing, <laughs> clashing emotions. Yeah, I'm noticing it in this conversation too. It's really difficult for us to necessarily speak only of disgust because the the love and the beauty of the film are so integral to your experience of it she has woven the two feelings through each other so that every time that you are repulsed she's kind of like making us rear back against things that are either socially disgusting and therefore we know very well you should be disgusted by it or the physicality of it is kind of like Either you're making very specific demographics feel like, you know, imagine a lot of cis men watching this going like, oh, I don't know. Oh, icky. I don't like to think about that. Um, And then you, of course, have people with uteruses are also like, oh, I can imagine how that feels. Please stop. Um, Then, you, you know, that's a great way to kind of wake you up. But it all comes back to this really poignant story between Vincent and Alexia slash Adrian. You, you've, you've, uh, inspired a lot of different thoughts in my mind, but I want to first come back to the idea of uh, Platonian because that word's used a lot in mm-hmm. a colloquial sense and you nailed it for the like correct use of this. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we think of being platonic is like, well, it's not romantic therefore it is platonic and it's still just, Oh, I love you. But mm-hmm. truly what I was thinking the whole time coming from philosophy when I think of Plato, when I think of the way love is depicted in this film, Plato is passion and pain and misery, and I just need to have it. I need my muse. <laughs> you know, that's kind of what Plato was all about, is you see something beautiful and something dies inside of you because you are just so mm-hmm. possessed by it. And that's what we see with Vincent. He's so possessed by the loss of Adrian and so elated by even the thought that this could come close. The fact that he could love again is almost stronger of a feeling at certain moments for him when he realizes what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to bring that up because I think that that's interesting for some people to, to hear is like pl- platonic love is something very specific. And I've also seen in many interviews that de Corneau also mentions Greek mythology being a huge inspiration for some of the themes and stories, uh, at least the stories that you see in kind of like adapted into this story. So you hit the nail on the head. I just wanted to, you really triggered that tangent there, but yeah, I think it just kind of falls into like, why does it make us uncomfortable? Because it's such a not 
common and a bit of an outdated view on the emotion that we know is love. Mm. Yeah, that's that's great. Great point. I mean, she really I didn't know that that she found that inspiration, but you can really see it in it. The tragedy that's mixed with with those feelings of of just recapturing something that you you thought was lost in it, and and you know that's a part of the reason. This, this is a part of the reason I, I really wanted to do this movie for this particular you know subject because it, like you said, it, it you can't really talk about just the the disgust aspect of it. And I think that that is, is different. You know, a lot of times films can rely on the grotesque and rely on only eliciting emotions by showing you things you don't want to be shown. Um, but really the, the complexity that comes from having to look at the fact that this is love and you know, a body being destroyed and love and a man dealing with his masculinity and his, uh-huh. his, uh, you know, waning masculinity as he sees it. And, um, and also others, you know, the outside, the other looking in and seeing something that's not right because a big thing in Vincent's world is that he's surrounded by men because he's a firefighter and it's a very masculine, strong kind of environment. And he becomes yes. so sweet and so gentle with Adrian in pretty much, at pretty much every corner. But then at the same time, he's very harsh with himself. And he's doing these injections of steroids and beating himself up because he's not as strong as he once was. And all these these themes, I find that Ducourneau has really captured the masculine kind of journey surprisingly well. And, you know, it just goes uh-huh. to show that, that you can really, you can really capture something, even if you don't live it yourself. There you go. Uh, if you yeah. are open to looking around you and listening. And I think she's <laughs> done that really well here too. What? Because listening to people <laughs> and learning from their lived experiences. No, <laughs> That's in that's impossible. Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I but that's like a very different thing because you know, raw for her, raw is a a woman uh, coming to terms with her, you know, her being, and and uh-huh. it's. I think Julia Ducourneau could very possibly say this is you know my kind of experience at certain times being a woman, but this. This film, Titan, is a completely different beast. It's it's coming from all angles and attacking every sort of aspect of parenthood and being a child, being someone's child, being someone's parent, uh-huh. being a woman who is objectified and then a woman who objectifies others. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> like a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, and then in the meantime, yeah, you have some really... Cronenbergian sort of like skin splitting and car babies, <laughs> car babies <laughs> that yes. that also oil make lactation. You... Oh, oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, oil leaking from all different places. <laughs> Which, okay, that does gross me out. That one did. I was like, yeah, <laughs> see there. Well, you know, uh, it grosses me out too. And and I've dealt with menstruation and like, but again, those aspects, that aspect of a lack of control over your body is a huge um it's a huge theme in this in this film because as mm-hmm. as Adrian, you know, as Alexia, as Adrian is showing more and more, she is strapping her body down oh. and with with tape. I mean, it she's got lashes on her skin because she's and she's pushing her belly into itself mm-hmm. as it's just desperate to to show and all these really up close scenes of a woman trying to, you know, stop what is nature, you know, right. what is happening to her, um, really to protect herself is, it's just, it's a really, it's impactful throughout the film. And it keeps going back to that, it keeps going back to those scenes as, as Alexia tries to hide what's happening to body and adrian is trying to you know adapt to his surroundings it's just Mm -hmm. it's interesting and terrifying (laughs) i can imagine yeah um and from obviously i can only speak from my own perspective at least off the cuff uh, because as we as Durkano has taught us if you really reflect on it long enough and take your time you can speak about lived experiences that may not be your bodily experience, but this is definitely something she could relate to, I'm sure. Um, but uh, from my perspective, like when I was saying, like the trans allegory as well, what you're talking about uh, of her hiding herself as she is mm-hmm. living this other life, both to protect herself, but also to kind of keep peace in everything around her. That's That was so fascinating to me about this hiding some sort of secret that if people were to find it, they would know who you really are. And if they knew who you really were, it's all going to go away. The only reason that this exists is because you hid yourself and you played the game and you were the person that they wanted you to be, in this case, Adrian. So one of the most fascinating moments and beautiful moments, again, I know we're talking disgust, but I can't keep away from beauty. (laughs) One of the most beautiful moments for me was the moment when you have Vincent just say, like, whoever you are, you know? Like, I, I, I know. And you had the same with the mother when she finally walks in mm-hmm. on Alexia trying to bind herself up. Um, all just, it kind of, that's where I think the heart really pumps through the rest of the film. It stays a really sweet drama for like the last half hour or so. And up until mm-hmm. that point, it kind of goes in between horror. I mean, it, it even ends with probably the most horrifying body horror moments of the film. Mm-hmm. And it's just a beautiful bonding moment in tone of what they're showing you know vincent mm-hmm. helping her deliver the baby but we're seeing all the metal coming out of her and her skin mm-hmm. peeling back and yeah. going what the fuck is going on uh <laughs> and then we see this beautiful car baby <laughs> <laughs> yeah and in that, in that moment vincent has uh has what he's lost kind of yeah. you know um he's he has a, a baby and, and unfortunately 
And, and it's so funny because you say, unfortunately, Adrian Alexia has has died in, in that yeah. moment. But again, this is somebody that when we started out is murdering people kind of willy nilly <laughs> and uh, who is, you know, goes to, to great lengths. And we don't know why. We don't know why this person is. I, I mean, you know, there, there's a in that opening, there's an opening kill where she is being kind of attacked in her car. Yes. And you kind of understand it. But then as we go on, Ducarneau takes that away from us. It's not all warranted. Because then she goes and she just kills the sweetest... Sweetest girl oh, and the sweetest man and this it's in you yeah and you're just you're like why why is this person doing this and yet at the end of the film uh we're sad we're sad that you know Vincent and Adrian aren't able to have more time together and we're sad that this has happened to <laughs> to Alexia somehow and I just <laughs> it's a real real testament of just really complex characters, how to write complex characters yes. that kind of confuse you. You know, they shake you to your core. And and the protective, yeah, what you were saying about, you know, Vincent just saying, I don't care who you are. And because Alexia dons this, this kind of Adrian skin as a form of protection. Uh-huh. I mean, she's protecting herself by becoming Adrian and when when that happens every moment that that they could be revealed is very tense and you're worried about violence and I think we are trained Mm -hmm. to be worried about violence you know if oh yeah if if someone were to find out who who was really behind the mask that that it would become violent for Alexia or and that kind of subversion of expectations is really you know, to the point where Vincent actively takes measures to protect the fact that Alexia isn't Adrian and he knows that. And so it's a very, you know, when you're talking about the, the transition aspect and, and having it be such a huge part of the story, it really lets you kind of take a breath and, and see that, you know, there's protection in this sort of love, this platonic love. And, and then once Vincent opens that part of Adrian up, it's shared because you really know that Adrian loves Vincent. And it's, again, again, I mean, I could just sit and talk about how her skin like rips open and it's absolutely <laughs> disgusting or she breaks her own nose on a, on a sink in a, in a subway station and that. she binds her, her boobs and her belly down, you know, like all those things. <sighs> As much as in the moment I am cringing when I'm watching it, the memory of the movie and, and thinking back on it really always comes back to that's kind of the skin of the film, you know, is this like body horror, but the inside is is very soft and, and right. you know. And um, warm. Quite warm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of gross if you want to, you know, think of it that way. Yeah, as it's well, also gross. But, it, but it's also very heartwarming as well. Um, yeah. Okay. Are you ready to put a philosophy hat on? Would you jo- would join me on a very complicated journey for just a moment? Yes. Okay, here we go. Yes. I am going to try and attempt 
to provide some semblance of an answer as to how it is such a horrid, despicable soul endears us so much by the end of the film, and why we're talking about a sweet, wonderful, endearing film, and there are so many reviews, even reviews that loved it, that were just like, nasty, body horror, most disturbing shit I've ever seen, it's going to scar me for life. Um, whereas we're having a much different conversation than a lot of these outlets have uh, put out for the reviews. Now, of course, let's be a little... Re- Before we get to the philosophy, just a little realism for anybody to help you read reviews and stuff. Sometimes it's also a good marketing trick. It's not to say anybody's paid for anything, but it's just somebody who enjoyed a film, who knows what's going to... what is true about it, and sharing that experience with you because it might interest you to watch it yourself. Not necessarily giving you this stuff because mushy mushy happy made my heart swell so much for a horror movie isn't necessarily the best hook for a horror film um so there is that that i think some of these outlets were like if i tell them how disturbed i was and focus on that that will get them to watch the film as horror fiends and you'll get a whole wide audience of people who like these things um but just saying like it's a job and part of that job is to do the appropriate amount of promotion um, philosophy time, though. Let's go to that quote. I feel that... Are you familiar with the concept of abjection in your own research and studies? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Studying extreme horror, you definitely... Kind of... <laughs> Three episodes in a row, I have used this... <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's a reason for that, though, right? I mean, you really mm-hmm. see the... That I, I love that the violence of mourning for an object that's already been lost. That's just that's a really great uh-huh. way to uh, kind of explore a lot of not all a lot of extreme exactly. horror. Exactly. Yeah. And in this case, I think so apt. Mm-hmm. I was drawn to this quote, and. I, I mean, it's a very long essay. I've mentioned it before in previous episodes. If anybody hasn't read it yet, or if you've tried to read it already, I went, good luck. If you're, <laughs> if you're not coming from that background, take your time with it. Really sip on some tea, read it three, four times, those sentences. But it's like 35 pages long, depending on the print or the PDF that you're going to find for this thing. And so there's a lot to unpack. The abject is a very complex topic. That That's why it keeps coming back, because I have three films now that explore it or at least different facets of it. I feel that Titan, however, is a more distilled kind of umbrella exploration of the topic a bit. It felt like Dick Corneau really understood the essence of this concept because let's look at Alexia. We have a character who seemingly, especially upon first viewing, if you are doing the thing that we were talking about earlier, that's hard for us. So just sit back, let me watch this movie. If you're doing that, you're just like, what's wrong with this lady? Uh, she's so mean. And once you start to really think about it, as you said, right, we don't see women behave this way in films very often or stories in general. Mm-hmm. And not only is she a murderer, she's not this femme fatale. She's a little bit of the car show, but that's just kind of like she likes to dance and cars make her hot. I think that's all that's happening there. For the rest, she's not seducing men. She's not, like, setting them up to then take them down. It's not a revenge thing like that. She has the same drive that a Patrick Bateman has Mm -hmm. to just, who are you and how can I prey on you? Just because I felt like it right now. Maybe. I do feel that there's more to it than that. But at the very least, the way that she 
snaps is what you, we are used to seeing male killers do in movies of just, I'm going to chase you down, tackle you on the stairs. Oh, I will say, anybody who loves a good kill, again, if you haven't watched it yet, there's an amazing kill with a bar stool that is one of my favorite mm-hmm. kills I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> that was a moment where I was like, oh, crunch. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> and brilliant. It is. Br- that's Also, it's a funny movie, by the way. We may make it sound like it's a really dark, dreary film, but that was another thing. It's got a lot of humor in it. Mm-hmm. A lot. Yeah, very dark humor. Yes. Very dark. I feel that comes into abjection quite strongly. A lot of the themes do. But if we take a character like her, then a, a perceived female character who has some strange, aggressive drive, right? You already touched on the, uh, the kind of examination of masculinity and macho behavior in both Vincent and Alexia. Because Alexia, I would say, oddly enough, shows it more than as Adrian. Adrian kind of shows this softer, effeminate approach to masculinity that teaches Vincent how to love a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. Whereas Alexia is othered from the moment she has her accident, probably from before. We see her being... Uh, so I have ADHD. My partner uh, also has ADHD. Uh, we're both very neurodivergent. And when we were watching her kick in the back of her dad's chair and stuff, we were like, well, that's a neurodivergent child if I've ever seen mm-hmm. one. And for him to be like, stop it, and turn around to cause the wreck, mm-hmm. I can understand if you start to have some resentment for fatherly love. Because that's not taking care of your kid. That's just berating your child and getting them injured. Um, and I, I know this is a very long-winded, but it's hard to navigate. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll get there. We'll get to the actual philosophy. Uh, what I'm getting at, though, is this: the complexity of this character is somebody who has been othered from with in because of her familial structure her father very clearly for some reason did not care for this child Mm -hmm. and then her connection is with a car so she's already harboring something that is other she has an attraction to cars because she is fused with alloys and feels a connection to the car that almost killed her she is in what we have from this quote, if you have the breakdown of objects of desire and the object appears in order to uphold I, so myself, within Mm -hmm. the other. When we feel othered, we have to find a way to be human. But we aren't there. If you're going to other somebody, in in the eyes of the person othering you, you are not a person. You do not have an identity other than being not something. This is where we get into the abject. Also, it's very clear, abject versus object. To be clear with everybody, Christopher is a feminist writer, so we are talking about objectification as well. Something Alexia's had to deal with her entire life. Something she deals with Mm -hmm. very clearly early on. I think that's also why we see this clear step of, first you think, oh, it's because she's an object of desire. It makes her attack when she's being attacked. But I think that's just good storytelling to kind of do something familiar before we get into territory where we're like, Oh no, she just kills people because I don't know. (laughs) Cause she doesn't like people. Um, and then she goes as far as breaking her nose and shaving her eyebrows and everything. Cause she sees the image of a child who's been missing for 20 years and how they would look today. And she's like, I could look like that. I'm just going to get a new life. And it's just this running away 
but also destroying her ego. And that's where I come back to the philosophy. The exploration of masculinity to me in this film is the ex- exploration, almost like a a masculine take on the abject, but still through a feminist lens because we're looking at the masculinity within a female body. Mm-hmm. We have the fact that she's running away from her biology, as you've already mentioned as well. She, she's just like, what's going on? I mean, of course, I guess if you only have sex with vehicles, you don't expect that to ever be a danger to your biology. Um, but I guess that's kind of an allegory there, too. You know, if you do use your sex drive as a way to escape and you aren't careful, then you will be fighting your biology at a certain point. Yep, eventually. Um, eventually. And in this case, eh, cars, man. Uh <laughs> I mean, we even have the term alchemy in here, which is usually the science of um, almost like a spiritual science of alloys and metals uh, forming Mm -hmm. together. Now, that might be a little on the nose and literal, but I just found it kind of applied because it's the alchemy that transforms death drive, which Alexia, as a murderer, into start of life, who by the end of the Mm -hmm. film gives birth to, and it says, of new significance, to a new entity that is more significant than she could ever become. And I think that's one of the reasons that we are so endeared to her is because although she starts as what is clearly an abject being, someone who should not be, in the purest sense, not a societal sense, Mm -hmm. not the sense of women, trans people, black people, anybody who is other than me is abject, I think that de Corneau took what could, how could I make an abject character have a story arc? Mm-hmm. And it's only through navigating a lot of stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I think we get there. Um, I'm curious to what you think of this reading, or at least so far. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I think if she had just approached approached this story in more of a Patrick Bateman American Psycho way, and you just show someone that's awful and and you know, it wouldn't have the same impact, but there is a lot of shedding of the of the skin and <laughs> and choices being made by this character. You, and and I do. I mean, I have to bring up. There's a moment where Alexia Adrian is ready to turn away and give it all up and go back to mm-hmm. to her probably old ego her old way of living and that is a moment on a bus where she sees a woman and she's uh, you know she's sitting there as as adrian and her face is all messed up and and she sees a woman reacting to a group of men who are talking about women and it's very much this moment of she's in this body she's in adrian's body but she's recalling it's almost like she's deciding do i want to go back to this life you can see the the darkness as it passes over her that's almost this calling back to to her alexia part of her and as these men are talking you know women are bitches and a hole is a hole and oh yeah and laughing about it it's just just pretty vile you know lads will be lads kind of kind of scene and it's this this moment of choice where I can turn back and become that other again uh, become this this person who is is acting 
I mean, she really acts like from the id, you know, uh, Alexia. Mm-hmm. And and she makes the the conscious choice to kind of stay in this and continue her transition fully. And I I think that moments like that and making Alexia so much of an other and making her so kind of driven just by what she feels and and you know sort of you know, don't idolize me and don't love me because I'm unlovable and you know, reacting from, from her kind of wounds. And I don't know much about the, the neurodivergent. And I, there's definitely, you can see that, that as a kid, she was, there was something going on in her, but those moments that are kind of captured and continued on in the movie that, that does bring us around to really kind of feeling empathy for this character, um, I think are, are kind of masterfully done. And I do think that that as she moves away from the abject and away from the other, we do connect with her. And I don't even think that that's what Ducourneau is trying to get us to do. I think that's our natural reaction, yeah. you know. She's le- letting you make your own decisions. Yeah, letting you, as, as, as decisions are made by the character, we are saying, well, now I understand this. Now I understand. And, and you know, bringing the new life in, it's an interesting choice too because a, a lot of times women are seen as only really um meant to give birth mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh we are like our women's women's bodies are are often kind of uh, hijacked um you know to where we shouldn't have a choice of whether what we you know what we do with our bodies and and she really does end up kind of completing the cycle of birth and death which is is the more sad aspect of the story because she's kind of discovered a part of herself that didn't exist. Uh, and it, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thought, like thinking about all these things that you really do branch off into, into different areas and trying to hold on to just the one, like just think about the abject and think about the, the philosophical aspect of it. It really kind uh-huh. of veers into so many different often did so many different kind of vines from that, you know? Yeah. Because we spend, we spend a very small amount of time in, in this part of her that is the other and the part of her that is, you know, the, the car, like she gets her, she drives pleasure from the car. It's just not a huge part of the movie, even though it is a huge part of the movie. If that makes sense. It's a big talking point for people, too, because it, it was such a striking thing that people were like, did she just fuck a car? And I just like, so I saw so many and and I don't mean to say all of this in a way as to, to undercut you. I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to add to your point, but it's just kind of like to really paint the picture for how the discourse on this was. I saw so many people on like Twitter, little reviews of it once in the festival circuits and they the way they were going on about that, I thought like. So there's like a 10 minute car fucking scene, right? There's got to be some yeah. cool shit in this movie. How many cars does she have sex with? I was just going in my yeah. head like, is that what this is? She kills people. She has sex with cars. She kills people. It's like crash, but with more car sex. And <laughs> it's not. It's it's a much different beast. And I love that nobody really gave that away other than saying it was a deeply effective and emotionally effective film. And mm-hmm. it is because although... It is a big deal, as you say, just initially going like, I've never seen somebody kind of like 
I mean, you may have seen images of people like moaning and groaning in the back of a car, but not because of the car. <laughs> and then the car. there's also the fact that it is such an intimate moment of seeing this character be just who she is and experience herself without any judgment and just be open and, and be herself. So as you're saying, she's not othered in that other than that we are doing it to her, which is just mm-hmm. brilliant. It's genius. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she does do it again. She does have a, a second She does, doesn't she? Car. She does, uh, it's a but fire it's truck. different. It's a fire truck. <laughs> or is it the ambulance, yeah. even? <laughs> um, I think it's a fire... Oh, I don't... I don't... I think it's a fire truck. It's it's amidst the fire trucks. It's a small one, least. yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, uh, it could have been an ambulance. But but that was much... It was it was different, you know. At that point in the film, she this is right before she's about to give birth, and yeah. and it's it it really she it's almost like she had moved on from that. You know, she had found something else in herself. It it seemed like, at least to me, that mm-hmm. that that was not what it was at the beginning. It was not the same connection, and you know, probably because she had found a, an emotional connection with. Sure. With someone, and and then she wasn't looking to fulfill these. <laughs> I, what what we would definitely consider more deviant urges, mm-hmm. um, but I did think you know it was interesting. And to your point, yeah, I when I first saw the film, I was like expecting a lot of different things that I that I didn't get. So it's almost uh-huh. like you go into it with one idea. It's gonna be crazy, like. <laughs> super deviant film about this woman and her sexual desires and and yeah i agree with you that that's a pretty brilliant way of kind of tricking the the audience <laughs> tricking i guess if people need to be fed certain things to watch a movie or i feel like that would probably turn a lot of people off of it but it did <laughs> i know many <laughs> but, reviews are like oh this is not for me <laughs> yeah well and uh, again, that's the disgust, right? When you feel uh-huh. that, you don't want to feel. Some people don't want to feel these these things. Some people don't like that initial feeling that they get when they're watching these types of things, and so they'd rather turn it off and not like explore it. And I don't. There are a lot of movies that I would not suggest. I wouldn't suggest this movie to some people. Uh-uh. No, because no, no, no. You, you know you don't want to torture people if you know what they're what they're. Their deal is, uh, if you really like romantic comedies on Netflix, I wouldn't suggest Titan, um, <laughs> unless you're looking to challenge yourself. <laughs> um, quite but, heavily. <laughs> yeah, quite heavily. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the I love the 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 questioning, the looking below the surface that that mm-hmm. that we've been doing because. This movie isn't just just one thing, as we said before, and this character is really you could probably find a lot of yourself in in this character. And I think a lot of people could probably Ooh. find a lot of themselves if they really look <laughs> deep. So that is a wonderful statement. I love that you said that. I think that is another place where abjection lies here because if you other alexia while you watch it you're just so repelled by her mm-hmm. like it's so and if you can't get a hold of that and really empathize with the character 
I think what really drives that, and this is more like, I guess, Jungian psychology, but it's the projection, right? That you're like, mm-hmm. I don't want to acknowledge the facets of this character that I totally relate to because I don't want to have anything to do with them. Yeah. And it's such an interesting response that people could have because I've seen so many people be like, this bitch. <laughs> and I've seen yeah. so many others like us who are just like, I could relate to a lot of this, even mm-hmm. though we're a little conflicted about it when it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, love that you brought that up. I also think that it ties into a little bit of what we were saying just a second ago about, you know, how you were saying that Ducono kind of sets it up in a way where you kind of have an epiphany somewhere halfway through the film where you're like, I think I know how to feel now. Mm-hmm. What I like about it is because it's not as if there is an answer to that. I think a lot of people are looking for, so how do I need to feel? Like That's not what the movie's tell. It's not telling you how to feel. It's giving you all of the clues to do it yourself. And then when you feel, you just kind of know what you feel about the situation and all these things. And the movie's just kind of like, hold on to that. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I love it's a film a that does that. Test. <laughs> it is a Rorschach. Oh, that's a great way to look at it. It's a Rorschach test. And also for anybody who listens to this podcast and who hears all this philosophical talk, and you're like, hey, I don't know what half the crap you're talking about means or how did you, you know, I don't, I've never studied any of that. What I really want to make clear to everybody is that we're talking about the things that you feel anyway. We may have language and terminology and all that that we're bringing to the fray, but I do hope that it becomes clear to anybody listening those emotions that we're kind of getting down to so that you can make up your mind for yourself how you feel, but then embrace that. Learn from that. Who are you? Why do you feel this way? Do you want to feel that way? And Titan is one of those movies that kind of asks you these questions. And I can imagine some people are like, uh, 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 anyway, back to entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> and that's fine. If that's really not your cup of tea and it really makes you uncomfortable, don't do that to yourself. You know what I mean? That's not, yeah. not everything is made for everybody. And that's not to put a value judgment on you or the things that are made. It's just more that. Like you said, challenge would be the word, I'd say, with a film like this. Because if you challenge yourself to soak it in and try to feel like, what am I getting out of this character's situation right now? Then ask yourself, what does that say about you? And it's a very interesting challenge to do. And if you can do that in a way that you're not judging yourself, that that's, mm-hmm. um, that's a great way to kind of look at just your humanity and and your instincts and you know because we all have little like i said before parts of ourselves that we probably feel like we need to hide or um you know i can't tell you how many times i've been asked uh, as a woman who likes extreme horror oh, what the fuck is wrong with me and that is a reaction <laughs> <laughs> that's a reaction that people have when they associate uh you know what you view as who you are. And, mm-hmm. and I've, I, I find that you, when you want to challenge yourself and kind of look at beyond just why I feel this way right off the bat, like why, when I see a woman fucking a car uh, and, <sighs> and getting, and getting pleasure from it in that moment, why do I feel this way? That's not saying like, (laughs) we all just want to fuck a car. It's saying like, (laughs) why, you know, why is one person's, what one person does 
to derive pleasure? Why is it making me mad? You know, and I think that if we look at things in general, if you look at a lot of people that react very strongly to other people's um, way of life, that goes, you know, like if they stopped and challenged themselves, why am I so angry in this moment? Then they probably find some stuff out about themselves that they didn't know. And it doesn't mean that they are what they fear. It's just, there's a lot of confusing things in life. And, you know, this, this movie, there's a lot of confusing emotions that come up because we're sitting here talking about disgust and love and beauty all in the same side of the coin. And I just, I think like being able to take a step back and, yeah, you don't have to know terminology and you don't have to know the year that a, a certain philosopher was born. You just have to be able to to be open to, to kind of explore. And again, it's not to say that you have to analyze every movie that you watch, but I think a movie like Titan is very open to analyzing. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it opens a lot inside. and And if you're willing to kind of take a look at it, it could show you, yeah, it could show you a little bit about <laughs> about yourself. And I, I really felt like uh, Ducourneau showed the audience a little bit about herself in a really great way, in a very honest way. That's not to say this is her story, but I, I feel like I know a little bit about, about her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's beautiful, personally. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And I, I also really want to echo your sentiment about that reflection when watching a film like this. In fact, I'm, I'm almost inspired to make something like the Titan challenge where (laughs) you have to watch the film and always ask yourself as you're watching it, what would I do? How would I feel? Mm. How do I relate to this? Don't run away from it because Alexi is not running away from it at least at a certain point of the film. That's what it's all about. It's about running away from the things that you're hiding from society. And, you know, she's lashing out at everybody in a very visceral way. You know, it is a movie. It has to get its point across (laughs) in a very strong way. Um, Until we find her exploring, or I guess them exploring the facets of themselves, since there's so many facets of of gender and identity that kind of come to the fore, because it's like, fuck it, I'm this person Name be damned. Your perception of me be damned. Uh, yes, I'm giving birth. Yes, I can dance sexy in cars. Yes, I feel really at home with all these firemen. Yes, I'm a boy. Yes, I'm a girl. I'm everything that you despise about me, and I love me for that. Mm-hmm. That is such a journey to go on, and it can only happen if you ask yourself those questions. And also, it's really nice to do that with a movie and not have to go through car baby birth to get there. <laughs> Isn't that nice? That's why why horror is such a great genre, because we can go through all of these emotions without actually having to be brutalized in real life. I mean, what a great great thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, mentally, that's (laughs) emotionally, maybe. And you do have to go through some sort of, like, you know, destruction of yourself, I suppose, to get there. Mm-hmm. But these movies really help you be like, this is safe. It's not real. It's fine. We're holding your yeah. hand. We're kind of telling you how to do it. Um, it's a guidebook <laughs> for yep. self-destruction in a way that you'll be okay in about 10 minutes. It's over in 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, so, yep. yeah, get a, get a glass Absolutely. of wine and think for a bit if you Break can. Break down that ego. <laughs> 
break down that ego. Yes, the death drive is waiting. <laughs> um, one topic I really definitely want to get into before we wrap things up is because my partner would be really pissed with me if we didn't go into it a little bit more and you said that it was one of the aspects of the film that kind of gets you the most is the pregnancy horror of it mm -hmm. and i can imagine this of all of the pregnancy related horror films is probably one of the weirdest experiences somebody with this feeling could have. So as somebody who can't necessarily navigate that myself, I, I do open the the door and, and the, 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 the floor is yours if you wish to kind of explore. What is it about it that kind of gets to you, if you are willing to share that? Yeah, well, it's... Uh... Man, it's it's the it's the parasite. It's the <laughs> it's the um, parasitic wasp that lays eggs in the in the ant, you know, and then it like grows up. No, <laughs> well, no, be graphic. Um, I would love that. Give us the yeah, uh, the well, and the emotion. Pregnancy horror. So you have you films like Inside, um, mm -hmm. and which is a new French extremity film that is really incredible, and that is more. Um, you know, somebody wants what's inside of me and they're going to take it out. And that's pretty, right. you know, that's pretty horrific. But this, this one, this is a, a, a woman who was not trying to get pre pregnant. She, she's living her life. And then all of a sudden she's, you know, uh, infected with this with this, we don't know if it's a baby too. Honestly, we don't know anything about what's growing inside of her. It could be a car, yeah. It could be a whole car, uh, and we see early on. You know, she doesn't have control over her over her body. She doesn't have. She's got the motor oil coming out of her early, and her her pains in her stomach. And when you start to see what's there, what's peeking through the 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 metal part of it then that's a whole it's a whole new pain because it's hard it's it's unmoving um and that's something that's inside of her growing but really it's just that i have no i have no means to stop this because she does try to in induce uh she just tried to abort it with a, mm -hmm. in a in a pretty awful scene with a like a coat hanger or something like no with her with her murder weapon with her yep. chopstick yep. she wears a chopstick in her hair and she tries to use what she murders people with to um to force an abortion and i mean that's a that's a horrible scene anyways because any woman again with a uterus just like that's a lot of uterus trauma mm -hmm. but then besides that it's the it's the skin splitting when she's already in, in pain and, and, you know, the just like contractions that she goes through. I don't know. It's, it's a very, <laughs> it's a, it's a hard, maybe it's just like, you know, women that have had uh, cramps, like menstrual cramps. It's a kind of pain that is not natural, even though it's the most natural thing. And, right. and this, you know, Alexia's kind of carrying this this child, this car baby to term, and everything that's happening to her body that she tries so desperately to stop 
at every turn, you know, like I said, by lashing her herself down with this tape and or whatever she uses, bandages. And it's just so painful. And it, it gives you this idea that she's just living every single second of her life in pain, uh, physically in, in, in addition to emotionally and mentally probably it's uh i don't know pregnancy horror it just it gets it gets me personally in that in that way because i have i've always had like a fear of losing control of my body and it's, you mm. know so i think a lot of people have a fear of like losing control of their mind which is also you know a, a big fear but the body you know, you don't think about it on a day-to-day basis. You don't think about, like, we don't think about our functions. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people like chronic pain is is awful. And, and, you know, when you hurt yourself, it's bad, but then just to see somebody (laughs) living every day in this film with this growing pain and it, it won't subside. And then it's splitting her skin like that parasitic wasp has done to the ant. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's just a visceral kind of body horror that that I don't get. I mean, you know, there's a, a film called Dan Mapu in my skin. Oh yeah, and it's the the film where the woman eats her eats her own skin. Basically, is eating her own body. That doesn't really that doesn't really do anything to me. You know, she's in full control of that. She is. Uh-huh. She is choosing. This is something that, you know, that's her. Uh, she's getting pleasure from this. And that I'm um, just like, wow, yeah, that's pretty gross. But, uh, you know, she does what she wants. You go, Good girl. For you. <laughs> yeah. you go, girl. Um, and it, <laughs> this is different. This is a complete lack of of control. And, and so I think that's what's so grotesque for me it's not even you know the skin splitting and seeing the metal underneath that's that's pretty bad but it's more just the concept the idea the theme of as hard as she tries to stop it it is coming uh-huh. you know and uh and then it eventually kills her which is another big kind of it's a little bit of a societal issue that comes in for me because so much conversation is around, um, you know, abortion rights and, and the mother or the woman's body is, is never the thing that's talked about, you know, and, and it's, it's always about like these, these arguments are, are so often about the, the unborn baby and all this, not to get, you know, into all that, but it is a woman's body that is being put through this. And, you know, the fact that at the end she just, she dies in a, in a puddle of blood basically as so many (laughs) have. Yeah. All that really just kind of hits in that, in that certain spot that, that maybe it makes me a little bit sad. And then that is combined Mm with the, the, the disgust of, of just the actions that's, that are happening, the things that are happening to her lack of control <laughs> right thank yeah, you very you know. much for sharing that you know i yeah. wanted to give you the opportunity for this because some of the things that you touched upon in there are on my mind quite often uh, especially in regards to discussions about women's bodies and you know sexual life <laughs> and mm-hmm. the 
one that kind of strikes me the most, and I want to make it clear to anybody who's listening to this, I am not making a stance one way or the other. It's just the the fact that the stances are just so skewed is what kind of gets me, is that you, you hear only the conversation about the beauties of childbirth. Mm-hmm. And if you hear about the horrors of childbirth, it's usually by somebody who's still pretty happy that they had the child or they're not there to tell the tale. Mm-hmm. And I... I mean, I know a few people who have had some pretty difficult pregnancies. And so they're, you know, you could ask them, would you do it again? They're like, I don't know. Fuck that. I mean, I'd like to have a kid again, but fuck that. Uh, and it depends on your personal experiences. Not everybody's body is the same. So to say like a woman's experience or the, the experience of somebody with the uterus who's had a pregnancy, you can't really compare one and one. It's like me saying that my hip injury could be the same diagnosis as somebody else's, but I'm experiencing completely mm-hmm. different symptoms than them. Or at the very least, my level of them is going to be different. That's how, that's the nature of experience, right? It's impossible to really attest what other people are experiencing without talking about it. And we don't mm-hmm. talk about the feeling of fear or the feeling of kind of disgust that somebody who is capable of having children can feel just at the biological level. And I just found that a very interesting thing. And knowing from my partner's perspective as well, and knowing quite a few people online who kind of feel the same way, mm-hmm. I think it's an important discussion to have just to make clear. If somebody, especially a woman, if a woman says they don't want to have kids, and then you start spouting, oh, but it's beautiful, oh, but it's this, oh, but it's that, that is your experience. And it's mm-hmm. great if you want to share it with somebody that is scared, but kind of interested. But if somebody has a very clear, I have my fears and stuff, at the very least, what you can do is listen to them to understand their side of this, because there is more to it than just your experience. And so I think it's just wonderful that you shared that. So thank you. Yeah, of course. And you know, we we really want to make sure too, like, understand that when, when you feel the need, when someone feels the need to instantly kind of roll over someone's fear with their own experience, there, there's a lot of other people who maybe are very happy to be having a baby, but are very terrified of the process. And, and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, it's, it's so how can we not make people feel other in their own mm. lived experience? And it's, it's, you can feel two things. You can feel the excitement of being pregnant as a woman, uh, and you can also be terrified of giving birth. I mean, for me personally, there are more aspects that have gone into, you know, the choice to, to not like they're also emotional and <laughs> the end of the world coming. <laughs> There's lots of different reasons that I've personally have chosen, but I would never look at somebody that's chosen to have a kid and say, well, you know, <laughs> Here are all the reasons why you shouldn't. I'm going to lay them out for you. And also you should be terrified of giving birth. It's just like we have a very natural desire to inflict our opinions and our lived experiences on other people. Yeah. And I just think that that can be very detrimental to, you know, a woman. Like why is a big part of uh, postpartum depression is I shouldn't feel this way because I have a baby and everyone says I should be happy. And I don't believe in shoulds like that. Uh -uh. Um, 
you know. No, only when a promise is made should a should really be involved. It's like this morphine mm. should be making this pain go away, <laughs> and it is not. <laughs> Could you fix yes, my problem? Absolutely. <laughs> 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 that's it <laughs> <laughs> the system should work but we don't have money what's going on you know those are the times i think should supply <laughs> <laughs> and that's it <laughs> that and that alone thank you <laughs> everyone you else can take their shoulds and make them mites <laughs> or coulds <laughs> yeah shoulda coulda woulda i mean uh yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter that none yeah. of that's important and it's just that's all based on an expectation and you can't live your life based on your own expectations because expectations can be wrong and you can be proven mm -hmm. otherwise. And please learn how to feel it. It's fine. Be shocked. Be disappointed. Be sad. Be angry. Mourn it. But get over it. Fucking move on and accept what life has to offer you. And one big thing that's a small thing. It's a real small thing, but we make such a big thing as humans is the fact that not everybody's going to agree with your lived experience. Mm. Tough. How dare they? How dare they have their How own? How dare they? <laughs> and what I think is done so well in this film on that note is exploring that complexity of lived experience and expectation through it, Lexia. And like you said, like this, there is this body horror of the pregnancy, but she also, by the end of it, does go through that kind of acceptance and just for like for like five minutes of the movie she's kind of like i'm mm -hmm. i'm birthing something special you see it in her mm -hmm. eyes and that's where that abjects like i'm gonna be the most abject fucking abject ever i don't care if it's a car anymore <laughs> bring it you know i liked that kind of like mm -hmm. yeah kind of thing she was doing yep but yeah doesn't mean that she didn't go through all this like i never fucking wanted this throughout the mm -hmm. rest of the movie mm -hmm. I, I have a question so this is me trying to navigate to somebody who could never properly experience this but in the spirit of du Corneau, i want to see if i can distill something here is it also the fact that i feel at least a big topic especially socially if we're going to discuss like women's experiences is consent and mm -hmm. in a way what you have with a situation that you see in a film like this is you can consent sexually but it doesn't mean that you you're consenting to pregnancy and birth nope. but your body kind of makes that decision for you and i can imagine that it's a very i could never fathom what that's like <laughs> beyond thinking of something like cancer which is a weird thing to compare it to but it's the only mm -hmm. thing that as you know a a male body i can think of as, as an illness but of course i don't want to say somebody's pregnancy is an illness it's not a one-in-one -one comparison but that feeling of this isn't my body just made a decision, basically. Is that also a thing? Yeah, I mean, just know that women that can get pregnant, of course, we have yes. to think about that, you know. Um, that is something that we actively, and in part because of kind of society's view on men just kind of do what they want, and it's up to the women to make sure that we don't get <sighs> knocked up. We are, uh. like... In, there is no sexual experience that isn't going to come with that. Oh boy. I hope I remember to take my birth control pill that fucks with my hormones or, Oh, mm -hmm. I hope, you know, that <laughs> condom didn't break. Like it is. Yeah. You, you definitely have a, a pretty good, a pretty good idea of that. You consent to the act. Um, but that car definitely like 
poked a hole in the condom because she did not consent to having a car baby, mm-hmm. no matter how much she enjoyed her sexual experience with it. And that is a very, you know, it's, we, we just get used to it from an early age because I think, um, women are, are often taught that it is our responsibility. Um, yeah. And, which is why, you know, we're punished so strongly in American uh, at least as I can only talk to my experience um, as an American, we're uh-huh. punished so strongly when accidents happen. And, you know, there's a whole sect of people that want to say, well, that's your fault. And there was only one person involved, obviously. Uh, and, you know, so it's just, choice. there's a lot of, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's just a lot of thought that goes into it. A lot of fear, a lot of, nervousness a lot of all of that and and then oftentimes a lot of acceptance um you know because things are as they are and uh i think alexia accepted like you said what what she went through and probably had a nice moment of of peace right before she she died knowing that that car baby was going to be taken care of by somebody who (laughs) would definitely love it more than she probably ever could. And it's, it's a possibility. I, I just also for clarity for people listening, like that's one possibility. You can also read it as she's at peace because she felt the love that she needed. So whatever this car baby is going to deal with, uh, you know, go deal with life kid. It sucks. Absolutely. You know, we don't know. We've never heard this character speak about this situation because they're, they're running from it the entire film. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's why it's so horrifying, no matter what part of this, like no matter what side on this debate you are on or where the spectrum of those sides you might sit, whether you're like, I want kids and I'm terrified or I don't want kids or I don't understand how anybody couldn't want to have children, all Mm -hmm. of that. I still think that what we're seeing is like the ultimate form of this, this kind of consent that I was talking about in the sense that it is the ultimate safe thing she had sex with an inanimate object mm-hmm. and it still managed to inseminate which is beyond like it's not there's no fault to be had of you can't make this argument in this film there's just it's an impossibility no matter how many logical fallacies you try to throw at it you cannot convince somebody that a car should inseminate a human being so <laughs> i you then understand the shock of what it's like to have your body in a sense betray you in this sense. Mm-hmm. So then I can imagine for people who might feel like, well, no, I don't see it as a betrayal. I see it as a perfectly normal biological thing. Like, is this normal? Is this metal fusing and oil? Is that fucking normal? <laughs> um, so you put the horror of it all to really just show that perspective that people might have been missing out on. And it helps the conversation a bit. So you can just open mm-hmm. eyes a little bit and go, if that's how you feel, I'm sorry you feel that way. That's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely... <laughs> I love I mean I love that that a movie about a, a car baby, a car baby. Being born, um has <laughs> has opened so many avenues <laughs> for discussion. I mean <laughs> it really just goes to show that like a really cool practical baby effect at the end of a movie can can just kind of, you know, open your mind to so many different things. So many different questions that don't need answers. You know, we don't know how Alexia feels. Like you said, she barely talks. Alexia and Adrian barely say a word. 
Mm-mm. throughout the the film. I mean, yeah. it's really we're just watching we're just watching someone navigate a very strange experience and we're we're kind of putting our own thoughts and our own feelings and she's like a mirror. <laughs> they're they're a mirror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we just sort of see what we're going to see from from their experience. It's just fascinating. Yeah, they just feel pretty much. And I do have to say that the first time I watched this movie, I didn't love it. I mean, I didn't love it the first time. Um, Mm -hmm, Same. Just like always remember that, you know, like feelings will change upon different, different views. And that has definitely happened for me. When I first saw it, I was like, fuck this movie. I'm over it. And I don't know why I felt that way that that day. I was, I was just in a bad mood. I didn't want to see pregnancy horror. Mm, um, but right. then, but then I thought about it, and I, I kind of looked at why I felt that way, and you know, I've got other things that have come out of it from then. Well, Jerry, you passed the Teton challenge. <laughs> <laughs> always will <laughs> always there you go that's the spirit I, I, had, I had the same response i think it's also that expectation right you keep hearing about how batshit this movie is and you're thinking it's yeah. got to be cronenberg then like cronenberg yes. levels people said cronenberg 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 but the thing was what she gets right from cronenberg that a lot of other directors don't get is the heart the feeling mm-hmm. and that's where it was like oh okay i'm not in the mood for this movie but I, I'm going to get through it. And then I'm so happy. Actually, it's a blessing, right? That we had a little bit of a break in between because I got to process yeah. it a lot more and not have to be like, hey, I don't really know if I loved this movie. Uh, <laughs> after this talk, I love this movie. I, I feel yes. so many strong emotions towards it. Am I going to watch it a lot? No. But maybe parts of it, they're kind of cool. And if I'm in the mood, I'll I just will, turn it on. I will definitely buy the second site. Oh, I'm going to buy it. it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not going to be my popcorn watch or anything, but it's definitely no. going to be on my shelf to say like, oh no, this movie's, it's a special one. Yeah. Yeah. Same. For sure. Well, I think I'm, you know, there's so much more we can go into, but I think that we've covered a really good basis here. And I just want to thank you so much, not only for your time, but for being so candid on this episode and really taking not only the Teton challenge, but also taking my challenging questions and enrolling with them uh, so well. Um, I don't know if there was anything that you wanted to discuss quickly before we round up. Mm. You know, I feel like we've really um, kind of, yeah, I, I think we've covered a lot of what I've really been kind of thinking about and mulling over throughout, you know, my notes. Like I said, I could probably write a big, long essay about it. I'm not going to because... Cause uh, you know you don't want to you don't want to dive like too deep into these things, but <laughs> I think we covered a pretty good broad range of what what Titan has has offered us and what Julia Ducarneau has offered us, and I am I'm grateful for you bringing me on your show to talk about it. I oh, hope that uh, other people will. Well, I really hope other people have already seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before listening help. to this conversation but you know I, I hope that others will take the, the challenge and kind of delve into things that make them uncomfortable and especially for those who really hated it the first time who have seen it please challenge has been issued 
see if you can uh you don't have to love it you, you don't have yeah. i'm not asking you to change your opinion of the film whatever points that you have are probably very valid but do try to do that challenge and see if is it really those objective observations you're making or is it how you're feeling that makes you run away from it agreed <laughs> and then let us know <laughs> and then let us know in fact how about I tell you how. So I think we can wrap things up and get to the plugs. This podcast is sponsored by Logic Locks. Logic Locks creates and facilitates immersive real-life games for the masses. Is your company looking for an activity to do for your next team outing? Play their online game show experience, No Pants Required. Looking for a fright? Follow a curious researcher into the depths of the Amsterdam catacombs from the relative safety of your own home. Check out LogicLocks.com for more information. The Beauty of Horror is also proudly sponsored by the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad. For more introspective, semi-academic, and fun podcasts like this one, be sure to check out AnatomyofaScream.com. If you're interested in more of my musings on beauty and horror or horror in general, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore Shockaholic, and you can check out my website, Shockaholic.org. But dear listeners, I want to know, what are your thoughts on Titan? Are you going to take the Titan challenge? If you do, let us know. You can reach out to the podcast, which is on Twitter, at BeautyHorrorPod, via email, BeautyOfHorrorPod at gmail.com. And there is also a Discord server if you would like to do so quickly and just keep talking to us. It would be great. But... For now, I want to thank you, Jerry, for sitting down with me. I've already given a very heartfelt thank you for, for the way you've handled this. But seriously, like all of the thanks, I've had a wonderful time. And I want to know, where can people find you? And is there anything you kind of want to let them know about? Something you might want to plug? Um, well, I have also had a great time. I really appreciate you bringing me on. Um, you can find me on Twitter at LadyScriptWrit. And on Instagram, at The Sleeper Must Awaken. I'm always out there talking about my my writing, if you're interested. I do have a book of easily digestible short horror stories called The Scream and Other Dark Stories that you can find in all of those places. And just be on the lookout for my films, because they're coming. <laughs> they're coming. <laughs> They're coming. <laughs> yes, I'm looking forward to that. They'll probably piss you off. <laughs> oh, even better. So exactly. look for that, and then we'll be taking the Jerry J. Sampson challenge in the near future, <laughs> I'm sure. And I want to thank you, dear listener, for joining us and talking about the disgust, beauty, the emotions that lurk within the horrible. Goodbye.